Hello and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. I am John Bailey and on the line this evening I have Mr Tom Parker. Tom, how the devil are you? I'm good, John. I'm in better spirits than this time last week, let's just say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you were quite fortunate in the fact that you dodged a bullet with that one. You didn't actually have to have to do the podcast like I did with um, Professor Simon Kemp and, and poor guy, you know, he yeah. sat there for the majority of the game, admitted to leaving after the Madison free kick. But, hey, we've done Leicester, so let's just move on very quickly. And then, onwards then and go. upwards. Onwards and upwards. Or onwards and maybe not so much upwards in terms of <laughs> league position, um, but certainly upwards in terms of, like, resolve, heart, battling spirit. Are you kind of like using the battling spirit to get through London on these rainy, cold days, or are you going to tell me now that it's not even really been raining in London and that's just what I'm putting up oh, with no, in Devon? No, no, no. London at the weekend was it's like a tropical storm, but except none of the, the good tropical bit, just the storm bit. Uh, incredible amount of rain here, John. Um, but, you know, what can you do? You've got to sit inside, you've got to watch football, you've got to just got to get on with life, so I can't grumble too much. Yeah, I've, I learned something this evening that there's a great amount of jeopardy if you don't remember to charge your bike lights before you leave. So, like, I, I used to cycle commute through like Hackney and Islington, and if your lights kind of stopped working, you still had street lights to get you home. Um, in in like West Devon, like my entire commute until I get to the village that I live in, basically has no street lights. And so my bike light started flashing about halfway on my commute back. And I'm like literally in the middle of Dartmoor thinking, is my bike light even going to get me to where there's other human civilization? And then it kind of goes down to the darker setting. So I can see about two meters in front of me. At one point I cycled into a, a little bit of a hole, but kind of survived that. And then the cows and ponies that you can't see in the dark are making weird odd, odd noises. It's, Badgers yeah. as well you got there, John. you got all sorts of things going on. Yeah, I mean, you don't see that many badgers out and about, but yeah. So there's there's a recommendation. If any of you move to West Devon, um, start commuting through Dartmoor in the nighttime. Remember to charge your bike close, otherwise it, it can be a nervy finish. Good advice, John. Very yeah. good advice. And um, I've just noticed the seamless link there about nervy finishes. But should we just go to probably what was a nervy... I suppose just like build up in general to this weekend's match and playing Man City in the league. Um, we obviously lost to them in the League Cup 3 1 um, midweek, but showed a little bit more resolve than, well, a hell of a lot more resolve than, than we did in the previous game. But then this weekend, we had to face Man City, who are chasing down Liverpool in the title race. And we knew that they would have a couple of extra key players in the starting lineup, in the kind of shape of Kevin De Bruyne um, and Raheem Sterling. Did did you have any hope at all for anything at all this weekend, Tom? Well, I, uh, my uh, part of me thought yes, because I do think that um, if you look at the back four of the, the Man City play, um, if you look, you know, Stones definitely has a mistake in him. Yeah, absolutely. He will make mistakes. Carl Walker, ditto. And then they had um, a young, I think, Spanish guy um, that that came in. So, yeah, the hope that I had was that there would be, uh, you know, I think Man City, they're not like Liverpool in that they are. Like Liverpool, I think, are kind of impossible to play against in terms of so much going forward. So then also, if you can get through a very talented midfield, you run up against you know, Robertson, Van Dyke, maybe Milner. You know, we run up against unbelievably good defenders. 
Um, Man City don't really have that. Well, I, had a, I had a glimmer of hope, a glimmer, like a possible like panning for gold in a river kind of glimmer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, th- I think you were probably more optimistic than me. The, the only thing I was really hoping for was that we didn't completely embarrass ourselves. Perhaps, I, I don't know, Tom, whether the difference is because you admitted to me before this that you've not watched, even watched the highlights of the Saints-Leicester game. No. So, I mean, you've not seen the horror of, of, of what we're possible, you know, what is possible. But I mean, you must have some inclination from the fact that we lost 9-0 and the va- how everyone's been talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've, I've, I've done a lot of thinking about the game that I didn't see. And... Um, if I can just, if you'll indulge me for 30 seconds, I think Saints needed it. It sounds kind of crazy, but Saints have been coasting for too long, skating on very, very thin ice, not quite getting a big enough shock to jolt the club and to jolt the players and maybe even jolt Ralph um, into action. And I wonder if that horrible, horrible Friday night that Saints fans has to endure and to their credit stayed supporting the team. Um, maybe that's what you know in a in a sort of really perverse way maybe that's what we needed okay we we just needed a brutal beating well you needed a you need a kind of wake up call don't you yeah i think this is the you know if you look at all our results like we're not really you know we got battered by chelsea uh, and we got battered by burnley on the first day but really we've kind of been skating in and around games and um you know maybe form of side and i i think the problem was is we almost sleepwalk because we're like, it's not that bad. We've got an easier run of fixtures coming up. And really, maybe what we needed was a kind of ritual humiliation in front of the world's TV cameras. Um, and, you know, and also, if any team's going to do it to us, I'm, I'm actually totally fine with Leicester doing it to us because I think they play exactly the sort of football that you wish Saints had played with the sort of uh, manager and the sort of recruitment over the last few years that you wish we'd made. Um, but, you know, maybe that's what we needed. I, I mean, I, I'm this desperately trying to find something positive but maybe maybe that is what we needed yeah well I mean perhaps you're on to something because I don't think the reaction that we saw this week from the players in the two away fixtures to Man City we wouldn't have played like that I don't think unless we had had that humiliation um, so in that sense perhaps it was you know the, the bad result last Friday meant that we put in a bigger performance this Saturday, um, we didn't get the points or any points in the end, despite us, you know, going pretty close to be honest, and probably going closer than most people expected. Um, before we get into the resolve and the heart and all of that, should we just talk about the Saints lineup for a little bit? Because there's, there's yeah. some big changes here. So Alex he, McCarthy starting in goal instead of Angus Gunn, and is that his Popular. first Premier League appearance? I think. I think, yeah, yeah. I don't think he started any games. The gun has been number one, yeah, all throughout the season. I think, yeah, it's only been um, only been the, the league cup games that uh, McCarthy's featured. Popular change, as you mentioned, with with the Saints fans on Twitter. Are we being a little bit unfair on Angus Gunn, or do you just need to get someone out the firing line after they've had an experience like he did last did last Friday? Well, I, I, don't, I think it's more than last Friday, isn't it? I mean, it's, I think we mentioned it previously. He, Angus Gunn has been conceding of the shots on target against him. Angus Gunn has been conceding an alarming amount, you know, a high, high proportion of those shots. Um, if you look back, you know, first, first goal against us, kind of just went straight through him. Um, and I think a change had to be made. I don't, you know, I think Gunn, Hasn't sort of done anything dramatically wrong. You know, he hasn't had real howlers in this way, like a Hugh Loris has real howlers. But um, something has to give. And also, Ralph had changed everything else, including playing players out of their natural positions. So, sooner or later, you run out of things to change and you're going to change the goalkeeper. And I think, it's, I think it was the right move. And uh, we'll get on to Alex McCarthy's performance uh, overall, because he becomes a key person towards the end of the match. Other big changes we saw coming in: Jack Stevens returning to the to the centre of defence. Did anyone see that one coming? 
uh, not in a dream, maybe in a nightmare, but not in a dream. But more, more on Jack Stevens, I think. He deserves credit. Yeah, I, I think he did pretty well. So we'll, we'll talk about Jack Stevens as well. Um, Vestergaard and Bednarek mm-hmm. joining him at the back um, with Pierre-Emil Hoiberg at left back. So we've still yet to see Jake Vokens apart from a couple of minutes midweek as a substitute. And Jan Valery in right back. Uh, and I suppose, you know, the, the Hoiberg in left back, it's an unusual position for him to be in but it's not necessarily surprising considering all the conversations we've had about left back Stuart Armstrong was the other player to come in and get a surprise start what do yeah. you make of that? Well the thing is Saints lack players like I, we've said this before in an original thought Saints lack players that um, we've got a few players who flatter to do this uh, Buffo in particular but we lack players that you know we, we oh, let me go back sorry we've started Generally, we score goals by pressing high up the pitch and winning the ball back. If we do that, we're very good. The minute teams don't let us do that, we struggle to unpick defences. And if you look throughout our squad, um, you could argue very few players we've got probably can make a real difference in those tight situations. Buffal possibly, but still doesn't produce it on a regular basis. Redmond definitely. You'd probably argue Gineppo, and then you'd probably say it has to be Armstrong. And Armstrong, you know, he, he hasn't really done much wrong in a Saints shirt, has he really? He scored some good goals. He's obviously got real talent. And I, uh, I, I was glad to see him get a go on Saturday, to be honest, because I think if you're going to beat Man City, you need a player that is very clever. And, and I think Armstrong is that, and he has got a good work rate as well. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about the individual performances as we go on. <clears throat> so start of the game and it, everything goes pretty much as you expect. Man City playing pretty high up the Saints pitch, dominating possession, dominating chances, but not creating anything clear cut. Saints get a rare bit of possession, move forward. Um, I actually think Nathan Redmond has done really, really well here. So for those that that remember casting your mind back, Redmond picks up the ball there's not many players with him, yet he kind of holds up the ball long enough for Stuart Armstrong to make it to the edge of the area who he then passes to. Armstrong shot, and then James Will Prowse following up on a rare Edison spill and, and puts it into the back of the net. And that was a real, it was kind of like a striker poacher's goal, wasn't it? You'd expect that to I, be Danny I, Ings. I thought it was Danny Ings. And then I got totally confused when I saw Will Prowse wheeling away. But I thought it was quite clever as well because. Obviously, it was a very slick pitch, and everyone had spoken about how that would benefit Man City and their sort of very slick, clever, one-touch passing game. But also, you know, Armstrong's shot was almost on purpose to try and force that kind of error. You know, if he's not going to score, the next best thing is that it bounces just in front of Edison with a load of with a load of uh, rain rain on it, and and forces us to spill it. And, Fair place for Armstrong for having the guts to take a shot, and even better for Ward Crowd for following up. He's a player that sort of flattered to deceive a bit this season. He's definitely not been at his highlights under Ralph, but that's the second goal from the season. He hopefully will kick on, and it was a, it was a neat little finish actually as well. Yeah, and and actually, if you look at James Ward Prowse's goal scoring records since Ralph has become manager it's very good and last season he was fantastic I actually thought probably out of all the players most likely to miss out this weekend James Will Prowse would have been one of them um, but then you know he's he's put in a kind of performance at the weekend that makes you think well actually maybe we are going to get the James Will Prowse of the last half of last season and he, you know he will be scoring goals and he will be fighting well if you think I mean he, he kind of gets lucky with with Bertrand's suspension that means uh, you know that we have to we look, he, there's an extra space in midfield because Hoiberg obviously then has to drop the left back but I read an amazing stat at the weekend that something like Ward Prowse scored 10 goals in like 173 Premier League games um, prior to Ralph Hatton who arrived or Ralph Hatton who's all since, Rabbit, since the Rabbit's in there he's played something like 31 games and scored nine goals. Yeah, yeah, I heard, heard, heard the so, same stat. You know, it's a phenomenal record. And, and whilst War Prowse has not been at his best this season, you know, there is definitely a quality player there. And 
and fair play to him having the guts to follow up, you know, and 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 score that goal. And yeah, I think justified his place on Saturday. And and was kind of part of that to do with the fact that Ralph played this five-three-two formation with you know because he did pack the centre of defence with Stevens, Vestergaard, and Bednarek. You had Romeo just in front of them. And then the whole team were coming back quite tight and creating those like two very solid lines in front of the Saints box. But when we were going forward, James Will Prowse had a more advanced role, a slightly wider on the right role rather than, you know, one of two central midfielders. It's slightly wider, but without being a winger is almost it, it, it's almost like James Will Prowse can kind of only play as part of a midfield three. And anything mm. else doesn't quite work. Well, he doesn't have the battling skills, does he, for a sort of traditional centre midfield? He doesn't have the pace for a wing, for the wing, and he doesn't have the trickery for the wing either. You know, he's not a player that goes past other players. Yeah, he's um, he's, he's not a number ten. He's not a winger. He's not a DM. Yeah, I mean, we've sort of long harboured dreams of him becoming a sort of behind the front two kind mm. of player, but he doesn't seem to sort of that doesn't sort of, sort of seem to be his natural territory either. But you know, what he is is a player who plays for the team and he gives everything for the team every single time and he definitely did that again on Saturday. Yeah, so well done James Will Prowse, welcome uh, back. Um I've got I've got a few players that I want to I mean, we can talk about the game and say, you know, from the thirteenth minute there on afterwards, it was basically wave after wave after wave of Manchester City attack, block after block after block from, you know, the embattled and emboldened Saints defenders and midfielders. I, I mean, I don't know how many blocks Romeo and Bednarek must have made. Oh, it's incredible. Romeo's um, block, Hollywood stuff. Yeah, and... Um, I think Jack Stevens was was fantastic. Uh, Man City did cross after cross after cross after cross, um, and then they weren't like playing low crosses; they were playing high crosses. And you're just thinking, you know, Vestergaard may be slow, but surely he's going to win everything in the air against Aguero, and and he basically did. Um, pretty we, much. The Vestergaard looked like the player we we bought. Yeah, know, we hope we bought. In terms of that area of dominance, a bit like against Man United. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, only plays well against teams from Manchester. So you know, <laughs> we need to get Bolton Wanderers and Oldham Athletic, Salford, Berry, yeah. get them all up here. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, then Vestergaard's your man. Um, should we talk about Jack Stevens because he is so kind of unloved by the Saints fans and he's made so many mistakes and he's been on the receiving end of horrible abuse on Twitter. Um, there were times when I remember, even on this podcast about two years ago, Tom, probably talking, it was after Van Dyke had left or whilst he was still there, and we used to talk about Jack Stevens kind of marauding forward from the centre of defence. He's clearly got a lot of skill and talent and he's a ball-playing defender but actually, on Saturday, what we saw from Jack Stevens that we don't often see was his defensive resolve, and he was good, and he concentrated, and he didn't he didn't make any mistakes, did he? Well, he he did give the him and Valerie still have a, a couple of mistakes and give give the ball away a little bit, but credit where credit's due. Yeah, he followed up a really good goal, didn't he, in the in the Carabao Cup um, with a with a really strong performance, and him and Vestergaard. It looked the real deal. Every ball, like you say, that came into that box that was above, uh, you know, off the ground, which is something Mad City obviously realised as the game wore on. You know, they were just snaffling up every single one of them because Man City are a pretty small team. You know, once you take out your Fernandinos and your, and your John Stones, like I've seen those players up close, uh, and you know, I'm five foot six, and half of them aren't much bigger than me. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, fair play to Jack Stevens, and I think you know, maybe. Again, like you know, if we look back to the Leicester game, maybe it's kind of a the season starts after the Leicester game now, and all those players like Stevens that couldn't get a sniff are now in there again. And and you know, to this point about the, the game against Leicester, if I think you're right, if we'd have lost two nil or two one at home against Leicester, which people would have gone, that's frustrating. But you know, Leicester are very good. Da, 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 da. You know, we'd have probably trotted out exactly the same sort of team against Man City 
and we might have lost five or six nil on Saturday, like everyone else does. Um, and so maybe again, yeah, maybe maybe this loss, if we're trying to find positives, maybe the loss against Leicester gives Ralph the opportunity to try something different and bring other players into the team that, that can make an impact. And all credit to Jack Stevens for doing that on Saturday. Yeah, and and you know, kind of like thank God that players like Jack Stevens and Stuart Armstrong that have come in have done well. Um, you know, probably same with Alex McCarthy, I think, overall. Um because you then scratch the surface and there's not much else, really, is there? I d- you wonder, would Ralph have made more changes if he had kind of a deeper squad to choose from? Because, I mean, if we go through the players that he had, you know, Danso was involved at the week. He came on, I think it was for Jan Valerie in, in the second mm. half um, of this game. But you'd have maybe thought we'd see Danse starting in the centre of defence. Um, Yashida's been dropped. I don't think that's unfair after the Leicester game. You know, he's supposed to be a leader and we seriously lacked leaders on the pitch. And then actually the, the other players that you have available to you, Shane Long, Che Adams, Musa Gineppe, Sofiane Buffal, they're all attacking players, aren't they? You know, we, we don't really yeah. have that many options to replace the likes of Romeo, Hoiberg, Oh no, absolutely not. I mean, if you, if you, I mean, if you look, you know, look at all the permutations that Ralph has tried to fall back this season, which tells you everything you need to know in terms of, you know, playing. You know, he clearly doesn't think Vokins is ready, and you know, Vokins against um, a Sterling or a Silver on Saturday could have got quite messy. You imagine players of that kind of a playing up against the debut sort of seventeen-year-old. Um, but yeah, there's not much there in that same squad. And I think that's the sort of surprising slash worrying thing that you're you're right to point out. I mean, even if it hadn't been Armstrong, then who who would it have been? Buffal? Um but you know, we're not we're not you know, as this season goes on and we play more games, we get more injuries, we're gonna get more suspensions, we don't have anyone to really come in and you know, particularly if you look at attacking players, I know Shay Adams only got a couple of minutes on Saturday, but again, you know, we're really heavily reliant on Danny Ings. Uh, Nathan Redmond's got two goals, one in the league. You know, Buffer hasn't got any this season. You know, we are pretty, I mean, Gineppo's got two. We are pretty much reliant on Ings mm. and Gineppo. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, we'll talk more about the Everton game, but we'll see how Ralph prepares for that. Yeah. You know, Everton, Everton's looking like win or bust at the moment. Yeah, we, we're going to come on to that. Um so we've talked about Stevens, we've talked about James Will Prowse, talked about Vestergaard. Um, we've talked Can about most on, of the honor, first half. Honourable mention? Well, honorable mention to Danny, Danny Ings? Yeah, I think Redmond and Ings were both working their yeah. socks off. I felt sorry for Redmond because every time he got... The, the horrible thing about Man City is, is the unrelentingness of it, if that is the word. It, yeah, that every single player from the centre-backs that win the ball back is capable not just like hoisting the ball into the box so that they can all bring the ball out and make a sort of telling pass the unit so you never get a chance to rest and every time Redmond had the chance he tried to hold the ball up tried to make something happen but Ings has many qualities speed is not one of them so yeah. it, made, it made it very difficult for Saints to try and attack on the break um, but fair play to Ings as well how many times on Saturday was you know Man City doing their brilliant intricate football and they you know, get the ball in around the penalty box and you just see someone step in and it would be Danny Ings. Yeah, yeah. Danny Ings player of the season so far. It's, I mean, he, he he's working so hard and <clears throat> you know I've, I've heard this like rumor about a bit of a fallout between Ralph and Ings on the Friday night last week. I suppose it's not surprising considering the circumstances, but it's good to see that he's still putting his trust in Ings because he's clearly working really hard and he clearly cares a lot about Saints. Um, <clears throat> and, and he can finish. You know, he, if you look like, for all our, you know, supposed attacking prowess, you'd probably argue that Redmond's finishing is still erratic and at that starting 11 on Saturday, the only player you'd probably really think you'd put your money on to finish a one-on-one would have been Danny Ings. Yeah. So we're not blessed. No. Um, should we talk about the Man City goals now? Because the whole game was just basically wave after wave after wave after wave of Manchester City attacks. Did you ever get to the point where you believed we were going to win the game, Tom? 
I thought I thought by the time I, I, it did have that feel of something a bit strange happening, didn't it? You know, a combination of sort of incredible Saints defending, and then you know I remember in the first half towards the end of the first half, Aguero misses that header from about four yards out. Yeah, the Stevens misjudged the flight of the ball. Very good ball, admittedly. And then you, I mean, that's the sort of time you think, well, hang on a minute. You know, Wolves did this. Saints could do it. And also, yeah, I was looking at the other scores. And I was like, well, maybe something weird's happening. You know, Villa are beating Liverpool. Newcastle are 3-0 up at West Ham. There's lots of strange results happening. Yeah. Um, uh, and, yeah. So, I, I mean, there was a time. And I, I I felt, until the first goal went in, I, I felt we're doing enough. And then, sadly, when that first goal went in, it kind of had a horrible inevitability about it. Yeah, I was, I was kind of expecting that goal. But one of the reasons was, was I was kind of clock-watching a lot. And it'd be like, oh, we've survived another Manchester City attack. And I'd look at the clock and it'd be like, oh, there's only 20 seconds has passed since the last Manchester City yeah. attack that, that we survived. And I was just like, every time I was looking back, and was like, why is the time going so <laughs> slowly? You know, but also, just, we just couldn't get the ball, could we? We couldn't, no. you know, it was, it was almost like you imagine in training, they set them up to defend against the attack. Yeah, it was a bit like that. Yeah, uh, unrelenting. Um, I kind of always expected Man City to get it back, but you know that the Saints have this ability to plant this little seed of hope in your heart, just to make sure that when it all goes wrong, that it it breaks your heart and crushes your entire soul. The hope that kills you, John. Yeah, um, and really, I th- was that the first low cross that Man City tried all game? Well, they tried something different, didn't they? And it it, it, it worked. worked straight away. And it was always going to be... I mean, Aguero's record against us, I don't know, him and Harry Kane. Like that, that, that I mean, how many goals in the last sort of, three Premier League seasons have Harry Kane and then Aguero scored against us? If, it, if, between the three, if between the two of them, it's less than, I don't know, 18 goals. I'll yeah. be amazed. They seem to score in every single appearance against us. And... Yeah, you know, I mean, the Saints couldn't really do anything about it. Cause it was a really great cross from Walker, and all Aguero had to do was apply a touch, and it was always going to go in. Yeah, I mean, I was I was hoping I'd kind of jinxed um, Aguero by making him my captain in the in the fantasy football uh, team, but even even my jinxing didn't work. Um, so you know, I I did try though, Tom. Well, you gave your best shot, which shot to Johnson. Yeah, and uh, and my and my father-in-law, um, Captain Raheem Sterling, so he did seem to manage to jinx Raheem Sterling because he didn't have a particularly exciting game. He had a pretty awful game. And also, I thought Raheem Sterling, I mean, it's never going to happen for Man City, but Raheem Sterling got booked in the first half, and then he did a naughty foul in the second half to stop the Saints breakaway. And it was one of those things where if it had been the other way, you know, if it had been Redmond had been booked in the first half, and then the Man City fans were banging for his blood. You know, you can see a referee going for a card, but it wasn't to be kind yeah. of clutching the straws there. Um, and then the final goal, the Walker goal, that was just hard to take, wasn't it? From a Alex McCarthy spill, who up until that point, you know, he'd, he'd come and he'd caught quite a lot of crosses and mm. he'd held onto the ball and he'd taken his time with getting rid of the ball. And it had been great for Saints, really, up until that moment. Yeah, and it, it's hard to get away from the fact that it is a McCarthy error. I think it was a really good cross, but, you know, if you're going to come, you have to get the ball. You know, you cannot not get anything on the ball. And he didn't make it. And I think if you, you know, people talk about, oh, well, we've, you know, we've conceded so many goals after going in front, but... Of those goals that we can see, how many of them are sort of errors from Saints players? Um, it, it's just that we, we've got a real problem at the back in terms of players making very, very basic mistakes. And, and unfortunately, for McCarthy, it does going to have to go down as, as, as a mistake that led to a goal. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a real shame. I, I think, actually, if you look back at all the goals in this game, the James Ward-Prowse goal, the Aguero goal, and the, the Carl Walker goal, they all come from players reacting really quickly. You know, James Ward-Prowse reacts really quickly and collects the spill from um, Edison and puts it in. The Aguero goal is not so much about quick reaction, but Walker 
absolutely thunders that cross across yeah, the box. It leathers it, doesn't it? It leathers it. And it goes past about four players who are all within reach of the ball, but none of them react quick enough to stop it, and Aguero reacts quick enough to put it in. And then it's again, not all just about Aguero's reaction. It's, it's classic Aguero. She's always in that place. Yeah. You know, like, he's, like it's like, you know, Miroslav Klose for Germany. He didn't score great goals, but when the ball fell, yeah, he was there, and and Aguero is that player, isn't he? Like every single time the ball drops, he's on the end of it. Yeah, yeah, and then and then again with uh, Walker's goal from the McCarthy spill, he reacted so quickly to put that in. You know, when you look at yeah. it in slow motion, it looks obvious, and you can see the error. But actually, it all happened really quickly, and he reacted really quickly and put it in. And, and, I and also, also just I think just on that note, I think what was interesting is he played. He played that ball anticipating that there'll be a mistake. Yeah. You know, like he, fair play to Walker, he doesn't sort of wait and see. He's like, if the keeper doesn't get this, I'm going to get it. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a smart finish. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we come out of the game, we've got zero points. It's another disappointment. But, and I think this is where it is a big but, Saints played really, really well. And we have to take positives from this. We can't take negatives from this because Man City are one of the best sides in the world, perhaps second best side in the world. To, uh, I hate to say it, but Liverpool at the moment. Um, and you know, we 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 we're kind of the nearly team again. And you know, we've had quite a lot of nearly results against Man City, and it's frustrating that we're not finishing them off we've also had some nearly results against Liverpool and we're not finishing them off but we've got to take this level of fight and organisation and togetherness to our next game which this is the game that we finally must win at home yeah this game is it's beyond big for Saints um, I think they're on our form in general we've had some really tough games you know what we played all of the top six Apart from Arsenal, all the big six. Yeah. Uh, apart from Arsenal, we have been, you know, we've got honked against Chelsea, but apart from that, it's generally sort of, apart from Burnley's single goal defeat. And Leicester. I don't think that, I, I think, you know, probably Leicester, sorry. I mean, I think that the crisis that we're in is not, I don't think it's a crisis crisis. I think it's very much a sort of Saints fans crisis. Yeah. Um, I'm still optimistic. You know, I, I do because I think if I look at the pictures, the next five games will decide this season for for me. I, I do believe that. And these are these are the big games, and on Saturday, it's a big, big, big game. So, I mean, if if we have a look at this, just to kind of reiterate how big a game it is for us in the Premier League table, um. Everton are one position ahead of us, but they're already three points ahead of us. Um, and I'll tell you now, we're not going to catch them in goal difference. Um, so we need, we absolutely need to win this. Um, yeah. But I, I think if we are going to take heart and talking about the fixture list, if you look at the five other teams in the bottom six with us, Newcastle, Villa, Everton, Norwich and Watford, we've not played any of them yet. No. So it's up to and, us and to get ourselves out of this. Yeah, and we've played, if you look at the teams you'd expect to be down there, Sheffield United, all credit to them. Mm -hmm. Sheffield United and Brighton, we've taken six points off those. Yeah. So, extrapolating that, you think absolutely nothing. Yeah, we know these games are big. And, and if you think about it, like this Everton game is, is, is massive. There's no doubt about that. But then, you know, if we can get a win going into this international break, it will lift everyone at the club. Yeah. And because of the way we're playing, you know, not probably having that many players on international break, or on international duty, which is something Ralph flagged on the last time. So, you know, get those players spending more time together, working together on the way Ralph wants to play. But if you think, you know, if you're Jack Stevens, you're thinking, I'm going to start now. Mm. You know, I'm gonna, I must start against Everton. Yeah. yeah that's your kind of, I mean, to be honest, I think he'd probably play the same same team, I imagine. Yeah, I, d I think there's an argument for that. I mean, they probably, he may have chosen that particular personnel for the defensive prowess, and he might want to have a little bit more attacking prowess. But, you know, there are attacking players in there, aren't there? I mean, Tom, let's, 
let's talk about this fixture list as well because I'm excited about the Everton game. They're not in good shape, Everton. Um, they had a, a draw against Tottenham, but Tottenham are hardly the Tottenham of last season. Um, and so after Everton, we've got Arsenal away, but then we have Watford, Norwich, Newcastle, West Ham and Villa, and that takes us up to Christmas. But if you think about it, like John, like Everton are in big problems. For a team of their size, the amount of money they've spent, you know, if Saints are in crisis, then God knows what Everton are in. And also Everton, you know, in terrible circumstances, have lost arguably their most creative midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, on on Sunday. Now, if it's a big if, Saints can win. Right, we go to Arsenal. Now, Arsenal at home—that's probably the worst. If you're an Arsenal player, it's the worst. You don't want to be at home in front of those fans, you know. And all this talk of—and I'm, you know, I'm massively speculating here—all this talk about Emery losing his job. If Saints can get a win at Everton, go into the international break in a positive mood. Then go to Arsenal. You know, if they get an early goal at Arsenal, that crowd is going to get on Emery's back. You know, they could they could finish off Emery. It's the sort of result losing to Saints at home that you can imagine the Arsenal manager getting sacked for. So I'm, you know, even even the Arsenal game, I'm always positive, but I'm actually quite positive about the Arsenal game because I do think that, you know, if Saints go out there and rough Arsenal up, it could be an interesting ninety minutes of football. Mm. I might actually be in London for that game, Tom, but I'll keep you posted. Oh, yeah, let me know if you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, listeners, we're just doing some uh, personal (laughs) organisation, diary planning there. Um, Tom, should we get on to the emails from listeners? Because we've had a few over the past couple of weeks. I'm going to start with uh, Saint GT. Uh, stands for Gordon. Hi, discovered your show last season. I just wanted to say that I thoroughly enjoy the discussion each week. Thank you, Gordon. Having moved from the South Coast 12 years ago to New Zealand, it's a great way to keep connected to the Saints. And having been a long life supporter of the Saints since the mid 70s, love the discussion on past triumphs and failures that are part and parcel of being a Saints fan. It can be painful, but we've had some sweet moments and great players pull on the red or white. I've been lucky enough to watch the likes of Channon, Osgood, Stokes, Keegan, Armstrong, Golak, Williams, Wallace, Wright, Jordan, Shearer, Pahas, Shelton, Moran, and of course, Latisse, and so many more. For a small club, we have certainly mixed it with the big boys. Each week brings back great memories. 76 FA Cup, 70 League Cup, 0-3 FA Cup, Matt's winner against the Arsenal at the final league match of the day, Stephen Moran's winner in Pompey were matches that I was lucky to witness. Okay. Some games there. Yeah. Some some, players with some games. Yeah, yeah. Some really nice, nice stuff, uh, nice stuff to think about. However, and bear in mind, he sent this before the Leicester game. As for this season, starting to feel a little uneasy. We seem unsure of our playing style. And even though we talk of having a pressing game, the Spurs game showed a weakness in delivering that killer blow and our defence appears to be a mess. Time and time again, we are undone or simply leave huge gaps that we are punished for. We have the players, but I think there's too much adaptation being made and we might need to be more settled in formation, even if it compromises Ralph's ideal style of play. Keep up the great work. Um, Gordon, thank you very much for emailing. I think is I mean Gordon kind of saw what was coming, didn't he? Yeah, lots of chopping and chopping. We've said this all along. Like Ralph doesn't know his best eleven. I think he knows up front. Ings and Redmond is the winning combination. If he's going to play two, he still seems to have given up on the four-three-three. Yeah, and the four-two-two-two. But I think he's absolutely right. I mean, the Saints all this chopping and changing can't be good but also it's a it's a reflection on the fact that Ralph can't trust the personnel yeah I mean I I think probably the 5-3-2 is the way that we're just going to go forward um I'd say so yeah I just think we need those three central defenders um and then we've got wing backs so people that can defend we can have two lines of five when we're in in defense and then you can have as many as probably a seven up outfield players attacking you know if you're really going for it in a five-three-two formation, so I, I yeah. think think that's that's got to be the way to go. Um, yeah, and with um, and with Hoiberg, you know, Hoiberg in midfield, box-to-box player, getting up for the attack, Redmond Ings. Yeah, like you say, the two full-backs. There's enough options there. We just look so shaky without three centre-backs. Yeah. Okay. So on to the next email from Johnny Oakley. Hi guys, really enjoy your show as always. Thank you, Johnny. Um, 
It's by the way, listeners, when you're emailing saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com, a little bit of flattery at the start of the emails <laughs> is very much appreciated. Um, so he, he just wants to say that as a passionate Saints fan, he doesn't see how we could have lost 9-0 at home to Leicester unless the Saints players were deliberately underperforming in a bid to get rid of a manager that they no, want to they no longer want to play for. Given the fact we had no yellow cards, very few tackles and struggled to make even basic passes, this would seem to be the case. The so-called player power is nothing new. It happened with Mourinho. Unless clubs start to empower the manager to deal with it, then it's the players who will ultimately call the shots and in the process cheat honest and hard-working Saints fans. Surely such behaviour aside from being amoral is also a severe breach of contract. Well, John, you watched the game. Did you think Saints, Saints players did that? <sighs> it, was, it was almost... I mean, if you... If you think back to the last time a Saints player was actually purposely playing badly, it's probably Bruce Grobler, right? Yeah, we all know why that was. Yeah. So he was taking, you know, betting on... Don't say it. Yeah. Was it, was it all alleged? I think he was convicted. I think we can say it. Uh, I I don't think he was convicted of stuff from his time at Saints. Okay, right. So, obviously... But anyway... Allegedly, Bruce Grumbler was um, making some mistakes on purpose. But I, d I don't know. There, there seemed to be nothing purposeful about the way the, the Saints players played. It looked worse than that. You know, I think a 9-0 drubbing would be almost too obvious. Um, but it was strange. It was kind of... I can't remember, you know, someone described it as like a punch drunk performance. You know, when you're seeing a boxer mm. who's like, you know, just already like dazed and confused, just kind of going through the rounds and you're desperate for, for the ref to throw in the towel because it's just becoming like a, a, a battering. And it was kind of more like that. It just looks so dazed and confused. I um, mean, just on a purely practical level, though, if that was true, like, I don't believe it, like, but like if you just go through some of the players, like Nathan Redmond has had his career revitalised by Ralph Hasenhutl. James Will Proud, the same. Ben Narek could get a sniff in that team and started every single game under Ralph. Uh, you know, Bertrand is the mercurial Bertrand. Valerie, you know, right, played one game under Mark Hughes, but generally has been, for the majority of the time, first-choice right-back. You know, I don't believe I don't believe they go out to lose. I, I don't believe that for one second. Um, and I think the club were right immediately after the game. Yeah, because there was sort of some unfounded speculation that you know Ralph was for the chop, and the club came out very quickly to their credit and said, you know, a lot's going to change basically at this club before the manager does. Yeah. Um, and I think hey, anyone who seems to know about the coaches and how they're regarded across Europe seems to think that Saints have actually pulled off a bit of a coup by getting Ralph. Yeah, he's, he's very highly paid, but the reason he's very highly paid is because he's probably above Saints level, where Saints are right now. And I think the idea they'd get rid of him, I think they'd probably want to get rid of three quarters of the first team squad before they get rid of Ralph. Okay, I mean, you can kind of argue that perhaps some of the players might not have been putting in the effort. Um, it's, it's weird. I, I would say out of all the players that we have in the squad, the one that I would kind of consider that may be able to do that, I think the only one I'd have suspicions of would probably be Ryan Bertrand. Yeah. But then, you know, he was That's sent off funny after 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a complex guy. I'd love to get, on, get him on the podcast at some point in the future and get under the skin of him. Because also, he's like a, a real brainiac, isn't he? He's got like a cryptocurrency thing or, or something Has like he? that he's got oh yeah he's very successful he's got um he's got a business outside of, of football and it's something like cryptocurrency or artificial intelligence or machine learning or something that he is one of the founders of he's a very very interesting guy i mean bertrand's a funny one i've had a feeling for a couple of years now that bertrand was denied a big move mm. that's the impression i get you know a move to a man city probably to play to be second choice left back first or set back, you know, or Spurs, somewhere like that. And I just get the feeling Bertrand's never really got over it. Yeah. Also, he's probably one of the most highly paid players. Yeah. Um, I, 
So, so the the thing that I've heard about Bertrand is that he was a little bit upset about where Saints are this season and feels like he's been cheated because he was denied this big move and he was, you know, when he kind of extended his contract, Saints were in a, a different sort of position and we're talking about a different sort of direction. And the only direction that Saints have been since then is, is downhill. But then, you know, I'd also argue that Bertrand's perhaps not been... You know, he's he's not like without blame in that, is he? No, he's not. He's not putting the performance consistency. And the the frustrating thing with Bertrand is he's probably the one player we've got, which you know maybe uh, Redmond being the other that you could probably argue would make an impact in a yeah. sort of top six team. You know, like you can't see many of the other Saints players getting in there, but you could probably see. You know, if you said to um, a Man United fan, would you have Bertrand as your left back or Young? They'd, you know, they'd probably take that as an upgrade. Yeah. And I, I think that he's one of the few players we've got that could really do it at a high level, but he's not done it for Saints for a while. You know, the fact he is nowhere near the England squad and hasn't been for a number of, you know, probably a year or two now tells you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, I've just looked up his uh, cryptocurrency business and the the domain name for the website that it was on is for sale. So perhaps that hasn't gone well. Oh, There's been distraction as well. Um, okay, so I've got uh, another email here. Uh, this one from Jack Carsey. And uh, this one, uh, perhaps once mentioned in the podcast, Hoiberg and Romeo remind me of, and not in the good sense, Gerard and Lampard when playing for England. They are the same player and therefore cannot play in the middle together. Um, just one of our many problems and perhaps have any sentiment field alongside either Romeo or Heiberg. What do you think about Jack's um, you know, theory there that Hoiberg and Romeo are too similar to play together? Well, I think it's a, it's a few things there, isn't it? I, think, I, I disagree. I think Romeo is a classic sit in front of the centre-back midfielder and I think Romeo, I spoke about Angleton player of the season, I think the only other player that's got a shout on that is Romeo. Romeo was brilliant on Saturday, breaking the ball up jumping in front of things. I think the Hoiberg is a different type of player, isn't he? Hoiberg is a real like box to box busting a lung midfielder to get up to try and support the attack. Um I mean I disagree that they can't play together. I think any player that we have that is defensive minded that will put in a shift, we kind of you know, such as the pilot state of our centre backs, we have to play. Um and if you think about it like you're gonna drop you, you can't drop Romeo. So, you, okay, you drop Hoiberg. So, who do you bring in? You know, if you bring in an Armstrong, you bring in a Boothauer, you are losing the defensive mind, the you know, sort of defensive capability. You know, other players that were given a chance last season, like Callum Slattery, don't even, you know, he's barely been on the bench with you this season. Yeah. Didn't play in the League Cup. You know, I don't know, we, we're just not blessed with many centre midfield options. And we seem to be wedded to playing three midfield, three centre midfielders. Um, but if you really think about it, we've probably only got four in the squad, you know, which is Hoiberg, Romeo, Ward Prowse, and um, Armstrong. Yeah, okay. What um, do you think? Well, you know, I, think I can kind of see where Jack's coming from. I don't think it's necessary that they can't play together. Um, my concern perhaps with Hoiberg and Romeo is that when they are together, especially at games in games at home, when we want to attack and damage the opponents, is I don't think they offer enough in that extra area. So especially, let's just for argument's sake say that we're going to play five at the back for the rest of the season and then we're going to play three in the middle and that's going to be Hoiberg, Romeo and one other, I'd argue that in like a home game against Watford, for example, who are bottom of the league. Well, what about a home game against Everton? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're going to have that problem because I think Hoiberg will be at left back again. So it's kind of quite a it's, hypothetical it's question. It's three game suspension. I would have thought so for that. It's violent conduct, isn't it? Or yeah. is that normally or it's one? I don't know. I, I think it's normally three for a straight red and one for... Two yellows. It's the yellow, standard. Okay. Yeah. And then if you do really nasty things, then they can up it. You get more. So, so Bertrand's out for Saturday then. That's that's what I presume. I'm not 100% sure, but that's that's what I think. So, 
I mean, I think even if he was going to come back, you maybe argue about playing the same team again because actually having Hoiberg in, in left wing back frees up that extra position. But, you know, it's a question. Carl Walker's, isn't it? He, he got the winning goal and he put in the cross for Man City. And I'm not saying Hoiberg is really culpable for either of those, but is it telling that that came down that side of the pitch where we didn't have a proper left back? That's a good point. Very yeah. good point, John. Um, I, do, I don't know. I, I think, you know, Hoiberg and Romeo were so good together in the game against Manchester United at home. And I think like that, they do work together. And so I guess on that side of things, I disagree with Jack. But in games where I want to see us attack and be more attacking focused, I could perhaps just have Romeo give Hoiberg a rest and maybe bring him on if you had like a, a, a lead going into the 60th minute and you wanted to kind of, you know, fill the midfield with more battling midfielders. So who would you bring in to play alongside Romeo in a sort of three-man midfield? I think you've got to give Armstrong another go. I, I mean, I'd like to see Callum Slattery be given another chance, but he looks like that's that's not going to happen. Um, and, you know, as soon as Gineppo is fully fit and, and he came on as a substitute mm. at the weekend, I think we've got to find place for him in the team. Yeah, I completely agree with that yeah. particularly the point on Gineppo yeah um, the, the other thing as well is I think if you have Stevens at the back bring back Harrison Reed. yeah yeah he could do that bring, you know I've spoke to some Fulham fans on the train up Wolverhampton and they love Harrison Reed. do they really yeah I think he's a quality player I also got Josh Sims coming back in New Year as well yeah our favourite yeah, yeah hearts in our eyes Oh. <laughs> um, anyway, well, that's what happens. Yeah. If we mention Josh Sims on this podcast, John yeah. and I turn into the hearts and the eyes emoji. Yeah, we we go all doughy eyed. Um, Jack, thank you very much for your email. And actually, you know, really good point. And a little bit of discussion there. Um, Saints fans, listeners, let us know what your thoughts are on this subject and anything else to do with the Saints. It's saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on at saintsfc podcast um on twitter so tom i the other the only other thing i have on my agenda and actually something you mentioned you mentioned about a, a quiz tom quiz yeah last week you were like oh there's a saints quiz that you can ask alexa today oh gosh there is yeah I, I mean i should have prepared for this um i should declare that i did work for amazon for four years at this point but um there is a, there is a quiz on uh so if you have an Echo, an Alexa-enabled Echo device, uh, that you can do a, do a football quiz. And, and John, I think um, we should get the details of this and we should put it on our Twitter feed. Um, okay. And, um, and, and, and should, tell the world about it. Should this and be I've on asked our Twitter Bezos feed? To come on the show. Oh, yeah. What did he, he say? He hasn't. He has, well, he's quite busy, but he said he'll come back. Okay. Um, what, I, what I think might be more fun is then maybe, Tom, if we can leave this with you to go and get some quiz questions. And yeah, from this ask, quiz, ask you the quiz next week. Well, maybe you can get the quiz questions, and we can ask them at the start of the show, and then our listeners can have the whole rest of the show to listen and and try and work it out, and then shout out at us, even though we won't be able to hear, and then we'll reveal the answers <laughs> at the end. That sounds great. I'll definitely do that next time. Okay, so that's for next time. The other thing as well, I want to bring up Lone Watch. So, um, yeah, let's start with Guido Carrige. Out at Leganes, where Pellegrino has now been sacked or has left. So he's just, poor guy's just stranded out there now. That on is gonna, like 80 grand a week. Yeah, that is going to go down as one of the most bizarre signings in Saints history, isn't it? I think that, you know, that's like, that will go down as one of the worst Premier League transfers of all time. Because it's not like Chelsea spending you know, like £60 million on Shevchenko when Chelsea had billions to spend. You know, that was Saints. You know, that was our magic bullet, wasn't it? Career. To keep us in the Premier League, that was our, like, that was our, like, river card or whatever you do in poker. And by God, we busted out. Yeah. Yeah, it was... I think I've just mixed up my card games there. <laughs> um, I don't know enough about card games to, to rescue you here. Um, the other one as well that I want to bring up is that our two loanies out at Celtic, Fraser Forster and Mohamed Elianusi. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Elianisi with another two goals at the weekend. Yeah. Is that right? He's absolutely smashing it. He's uh, having uh, praise heaped on him by Celtic manager Neil Lennon. He described him as outstanding. Um, and he's now got seven goals in ten games. I mean, I know the Scottish League is different from the Premier League. That's a very polite way of putting it, John. But we've made some, you know, some signings that have done very well from the the Scottish League before. If we think Stephen Davis, if we think Fraser Forster before he went back, uh, Victor Wendell, Virgil Van Dyke, you know, it it normally works out quite well. So, you know. Are we going to see him coming back at the end of the season or are we even going to... I don't know. It's so strange because he looked so incapable of being a Premier League footballer. I think I've not actually seen many Saints players, probably actually since Carrillo. And even Carrillo, I think, yeah, whilst he didn't score any goals, he held the ball up well and he tried to do the best he could. Whereas Hill Yanusi looked like he'd won a competition. Yeah, he looked so out of his depth. Um, I remember a game... And John, I can't remember if you were with me or I was just with my dad at Newcastle at home, which was nil-nil, sort of in the depths of the, I think it was Mark Hughes era. And El Unici just, yeah, we had El Unici and Charlie Austin. And between the two of them, they just looked so, I mean, they looked like pub footballers that won a, won a competition to play. And you just can't imagine he would come back when then strange things happened. Yeah. You know, in January, if we're desperate for a creative spark, you know, who knows we'll come back. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that probably the, like, with that sort of position, that's probably where we've got the most strength and depth, isn't it? Mm. You know, if it's like Redmond, if it, you know, Redmond can play there, Gineppe uh, can play there, Buffal can play there, Armstrong. Josh Sims will be back by that yeah, stage. Josh Sims. You think we probably don't need him, so good luck to Elianusi. Hopefully, he can put in enough performances that we can cash in on him. And it's nice to see him scoring lots of goals. Guido Carrillo. Yeah, and it's nice to see Foster playing well. Yeah, I just can't see where, you know, no. what's going to happen. I mean, Ralph clearly doesn't rate uh, Carrillo. I mean, you know what? Of all of them, would surprise me if Fraser Foster back as number one next season. Yeah. Of all of it. Like, that is the one of all those years. You can never see Hoyt coming back. You can never see Carrillo coming back. You imagine how new see will be out there as soon as anyone else will take him the one player that you think could definitely come back who's, you know, of that sort of senior professional level is probably, you know, Fraser Forster. Yeah, yeah. And if you're Fraser Forster, why would you? You know, you're in Scotland. Everyone loves you. You play every week. You look great. You know, you're on big money because Celtic can afford to play big money. Play Champions League football. You know, why would you come back to Saints? Where we treat goalkeepers pretty horrendously let's probably not get on to how Saints fans treat the players because you can also make the argument how do Saints players treat the fans at the moment and I just don't think it's a useful useful argument to have let's look forward to the weekend let's hope you know that the footballing gods are looking upon us um, and we get a home win um, against yeah, Everton be really because something. we really, really need it. And um, what's your prediction, John? Oh, Tom, don't do this to me. Oh, I'm desperate to say that that we'll win, but I'm worried that we might get another draw, and then and then I think results will start picking up again, kind of following the Arsenal game. Okay. What do you think, Tom? I'm going for 2 0 Saints. Clean sheet with as Ings, well. Ings and Armstrong. Okay. Well, you heard it here first, there, Saints fans. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Once again, do get in touch. Um, like, subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes if you fancy it. Um, and so it's uh, bye bye from me. And uh, it's, it's goodbye from me. Okay. Let's do this.